Welcome to FASD Hope, a podcast about fetal alcohol spectrum disorder through the lens of parent advocates with over 18 years of lived experience. FASD Hope provides awareness, information, and inspiration to those people whose lives have been touched by FASD. And I'm the host of FASD Hope, Natalie Vecchione. Welcome to today's episode. Hey everyone, thanks for joining us for today's episode. Don't forget to check out our new book, Blazing New Homeschool Trails, Educating and Launching Teens with Developmental Disabilities by Natalie Vecchione and Cindy LaJoy, available on Amazon. Thanks again. So welcome to today's episode. I am thrilled to have my friend and a fierce FASD mama advocate, entrepreneur. She uh, she just wears many hats. Aubrey Page is back on FASD Hope. Aubrey, thank you for coming back. Hello, thanks for having me. It feels like um, it's just like regular conversations that we have every once in a while. Exactly. We're just recording a conversation that we, you you guys can just listen in on Aubrey's and my conversation. So today we're talking about something that's very near and dear to both of our hearts in our advocacy, social media and how we can effectively use social media, not only as a tool for advocating for FASD and brain-based diagnoses, but how it's grown, how we need to keep up with those changes and that growth. Aubrey, first, before we start talking, let's talk about last year, because last year we saw a lot of changes. We had a bunch of mom advocates do the red shoe drop, which was your awesome idea. And, and that went pretty viral. I mean, for a little video about FASD, yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think it was pretty cool. So let's just talk about last year before we we start talking about social media. Yeah, so um, last year was uh, kind of the first full year that I had started advocating. And I had seen stuff happen in September. Um, There were other FASD profiles online. My favorite platform is Instagram because it's like catered to me (laughs) as an audience. and so I, I had I had seen people putting stuff out, but of course we're always stronger together. So what does it look like for us to put information out where we're like more of us are on the same page? So um, in August I did um, FASD Advocacy Day, which I made up because I like advocacy and I thought maybe we should do that. Um, but the goal with that was that uh, awareness month is happening, it's coming up. How do we have conversations with our legislators, our local leaders before that happens so that we're prepared and we have, you know, whether it's trainings that are getting scheduled or, you know, honorary certificates, whatever is happening, but we're already planning for that. Um, so I did five days of facts leading up to the day of, and of course, like I work my butt off on this and I'm like, this is gonna be great, but like, you don't know how far it's gonna go. Um, during that almost week of content, we had about 30,000 hits. Um, and I think that when you're talking about a topic that is hard to discuss, people don't know about, you know, we know it's prolific, but most people don't. Um, I was really pleased with those numbers and um, realized how much power that we had with getting information out, especially when we're on the same page, um, we're putting out facts, we're having conversations, these kinds of things. So. Um, that was a really cool experience to do. We had quite a few people sign up to share all of this on their platform as well. 
and then the the month comes up and I'm like, we gotta, we gotta do a big thing. It's gotta be awesome. And there's a group of us moms and some people were like really good at TikTok, which is not a platform I'm on currently. And so um, I, we had floated around some ideas amongst us of like, what would be a cool thing where we could like do something together. And there was this don't rush challenge that was happening at that time. It's very popular. And so we had um, everybody, not everybody, but we, I, I sent out messages to some people was like, Hey, do you want to submit for this? You just have to have a pair of red shoes and then you drop them and the next person catches them. And it's really cool. Um, and so we had people from both the U S and Canada, um, both individuals who are parenting kids with FASD, also individuals with FASD, um, participate in that. And it was really cool. There was also people who participated who are outside of kind of the FASD sphere um, because it does impact their clients who they're working with. So um, it was really cool. Uh, edited all that together and then released it on FASD Awareness Day. Also widely received that had about um, 50,000 views, um, which is very good when we're talking about, again, a, a community very often. And this was my whole thing going into all of this. Very often the FASD community talks to ourselves hey, you know, this is going on with FASD. This is a tip for FASD. How are we getting the word out to people who don't, like, how are we creating awareness, right? How are we getting the word out to people who don't know about it already? And that was the goal with that video. And, and it worked. We had a lot of really good comments and conversations around that. And you bring up this excellent point. We're so used to talking amongst ourselves in the FASD community. And now with the FASD Respect Act and us reaching out this, we're doing this episode now because this is the time we need to advocate right. and up our advocacy. And we're so used to talking amongst ourselves. We're like, oh, hey, okay, how can we take it to another level when we're talking to people that need to know and need to help us pass legislation, fund research prevention? We're so used to keeping it in just because we've form so many alliances within the FASD community. Now we need to form alliances outside of the FASD community. So I love how you have these tips and how you are also offering something to those of us who advocate to say, okay, let's take it up another level. Kind of like what we did last year. And yeah. now it's like, okay, we need to even take it up a better level. So last year I walked away thinking, oh my gosh, when we all combined, we made a pretty big impact. And then I'm like, but why, why when I post things or people are like, oh my gosh, my child has autism and this is totally relevant for them. Or, oh my gosh, my child has ADHD. It's totally relevant. Oh, that's such a trauma-informed approach. I know, right? Like I know these things work for all families. So that's why in November, just a couple months after that, I launched the Change Starts Here Collaborative and in the effort to combine all of the types of brain-based disabilities. We're working together, we're partnering together. And when something with autism is coming up for a legislative thing, I will call my representative about that too, because it benefits us all. Yes. And so that's the same thing now. How are we creating those alliances so that when we need help, it's not just the couple of us that know that our kids have FASD because there's that number is much smaller than the actual <laughs> number of kids who have FASD. That's right. Um, but, but what does it look like for us all to partner together to create change? And I know for me personally, I've appeared on quite a few sober yeah. community podcasts and, and podcasts now, you know, social work and everything. And it's the same in the podcasting community that, okay, if you stick with just your niche, mm -hmm. okay, that's great. But no, the part, you know, the part of advocacy that we need to keep forefront is 
go talk to those people and form alliances. I'm promoting somebody in the sober community just as much as they're promoting, you know, FASD. So that's just such an important point. I'm, I'm so glad. And I, I just, I think you're so fierce and you're such a wonderful advocate to set an example for other people who are kind of like, Oh, I don't know if I can do this. You know, you're that, you're that person that says, yes, you can do this. And I'm going to show you how. So, yeah. So that's, it's funny you say that because when I, all of this started, I had people message me and they're like, how do you do what you do? I'm like, I don't know. You just do it guys. Just (laughs) just go and do it. But of course, people want a little bit more structure to that guidance. So I mean, I've had people as far as New Zealand get on calls with me and be like, I want to do what you do. And I'm like, okay, well, like, just do it. People assume that I have this, like, I I majored in FASD. Um, I majored in communication. I minored in film studies and leadership. So um, so that's why I'm um, working towards creating a course to kind of help guide people a little bit more. If you want some more structure as far as what it looks like for you to build something in your own area, because we need to have advocates everywhere. Like there's not like we will never have too many. That's it's impossible. Um, So how do we create more people that are making change in their own local communities? So with that in mind, do you have any tips that you can provide our listeners about taking that ad- advocacy to the next level, especially when we're thinking about reaching out to lawmakers, you know, reaching out to other people to not only get this FASD Respect Act legislation passed, but just things in your community to improve in your community, to improve in your state, your county. What are some tips that you have for people who are like, okay, this advocacy thing looks cool and I think I can do it, but how do I really take it to the next level? Well, let's start out by, um, you you talked about the FASC Respect Act, and I think that's a great example of something that doesn't make change unless the people that directly are impacted ask for it, right? But what I have learned over the last year is the place that you can make the most impact is smaller. whether that's your city or your state. Federal, yes, it's totally possible, but it's a little bit more difficult. It's just a, it's a bigger arena. Um, but don't discount making change in your own city or state. Um, oftentimes your voice is held at a very high value there. Um, it is not a big deal for me to get on the phone with my representative, which totally shocked me. I had never put myself in a position where I was talking to my representative in any, I've lived all over the country, never was something that I did, but I've been in Cincinnati a while. I'm very um, invested in this community um, and reached out, talked to him on the phone. I was like, hey, so I was thinking that we could work on legislation together where we would require signage of places that sell alcohol. For those of us who work in the FASD community, we know that this is very low level legislation, right? I'm not asking for funding. I'm asking for signs. Like this is step one of many, but um, I asked and he said, yeah, we could do that. Yeah. I'm like, what? Like, I didn't have to like talk them into it. it wasn't a three meeting series. It was just like, yeah, this is an easy ask. So when we go to think, can I make change? You can, it doesn't feel like you can. Um, but once you start poking around, um, you can. And I almost think that it's harder to make changes within organizations uh, because a lot of the time it's like institutionalized how we how we respond to different things. I've had harder time, for example, working with hospitals <laughs> than I do with lawmakers, which is unexpected. Um, so, so the first thing when you're going to advocate is that you have to educate before you can advocate. You can't walk into a place and say, hey, so um, I really care about FASD, so I need you to care about FASD because they're gonna be like, FA of what? 
they haven't heard of it. They they don't know to care about it because they don't know what it is. They don't know the facts around it. But as you go to advocate, sometimes a lot of us question like, am I, can I be that person <laughs> that says the things? Um, you can, but there are a few guidelines for when you're advocating for FASD that I wanted to give. Um, and then we'll roll into some tips that are social media specific. So when we're talking about advocating for FASD, my first big tip is to rely on facts. Um, there is a lot, and I'm assuming any community, obviously I'm in the FASD community a lot, there's a lot of things that we say that are like, oh yeah, yeah, this is that number and this is that percentage and this affects kids this way, but we don't have the studies to back it up. When we're talking to each other, that that's okay, we can get away with that. But once we start talking to people outside of our community, we really have to validate our information. So I have read like way more medical studies than I need to. And I always tell people that are doing my trainings, like I read them so you don't have to, but in this case, you might have to. Um, and if you uh, are struggling, like where do I find those studies? A lot of times I find them on other people's trainings, <laughs> like they're cited, right? Because they, they should be. Um, and I, of course, cite stuff on my own trainings. I have a free course on identifying FASD if you wanted to go and poke around there. Um, but make sure you're citing your sources. Uh, that way, when if somebody has any questions, you can answer them. For example, if we were to talk about the May study, which is a great study out of UNC, um, you know, I say FASD has a prevalency rate in the US of 5%. But I know that the study actually said two to 5% is a conservative estimate and three to 10% is a less conservative estimate. And I know that because I read the study. Um, so having that information just, you know, beefs up your argument a little bit more. Don't post hearsay like we talk about in the community. Oh, this many percent of kids do this. And this is, for example, the life expectancy study is a poor study. It was a poorly done study. So we should not use that as a reference point. Um, it's been kind of not debunked, but like um, discredited many times. So you could say stuff like it's often said in our community, X, Y, and Z, but don't say it as if it's fact because it's not. And we don't want people to get a misunderstanding of what is and isn't true. And then if it's your experience, if you say in my experience, this happened and say in my experience, but don't speak as if that is the, the experience for everyone. Um, because of course, everybody's experience is so drastically different. And oftentimes when we go to advocate, if we say this is what's happening for my family, but we make it sound like that's happening for all families, then when another family comes behind us and advocates, they're like, um, that's not what the other family said. So we just want to set the stage that this is our personal experience, which is a strong thing. I am what's considered an experiential educator, right? I don't have like three degrees in my area of expertise, but my area of expertise is because I have experience in this and that is highly valued. People pay me money for my life experience to hear me speak it out of my mouth for hours at a time. So use your experience, but just make sure you're, you're clear that it's your experience. So that's my first tip. My second tip would be that language matters. So a lot of times when we go to advocate for FASD, we are speaking the way that we may have heard before. We were speaking the way um, that comes off our tongue the fastest, but language is super important when it comes to FASD because of the stigma. Uh, just first stop is Can FASD Language Guide, and that's a great guide because it was made not only with doctors involved and advocates, but also individuals on the spectrum. And if we're going to see like what is offensive to who, then we're going to use that. So, it, for example, in the autism community, there has been a shift because autistics have asked for it to not say individual with autism, but autistics, right? 
That shift is not the case in FASD. Individuals with FASD have said, I would like to be called an individual with FASD. So we need to listen to that and use that language accordingly. And also the other reason that language is so important is because we cannot isolate biological parents with our words. If the way we phrase things makes biological parents feel like they are gonna be othered in this community, we're gonna be missing the vast majority of individuals with FASD. I know the numbers say that so many of them are foster and adopted, but that's a, a high percentage within that small community. When you're talking about population as a whole, 5% of the population is not in foster care or adopted, right? So we have to make sure that our words are welcoming. So an example of something that I've changed even in the last year since I've started doing trainings um, is, well, I've started doing trainings for the last two years, but I think about a year ago, it was Red Shoes Rock posted this and it changed how I phrase it. Um, I used to say maternal alcohol consumption, and now I say prenatal alcohol exposure. Why is that important? Because if I say maternal alcohol consumption, it's like, sounds like a choice a mom made and she was like really trying to hurt her kid. But we know that's not how these numbers get to be these numbers, right? The 5% of Americans are not drinking to try to hurt their fetus. Um, we know that there's just three reasons why a pregnancy might be alcohol exposed. Listen to how I'm saying this with my words. First reason is that she didn't know she was pregnant. Four to six weeks is when most women find out. 50% of pregnancies are unplanned. Most people just don't know. We don't talk about how dangerous it is even early in pregnancy. Second reason is she didn't know that it was dangerous. First reason she didn't know she was pregnant. Second reason she didn't know she was it was dangerous because doctors aren't talking about this. There's a study done in Minnesota that found that one in five doctors had no alcohol related verbiage that they were giving their patients. And then the third reason is she doesn't know how to stop. We can't just say stop drinking and not give women tools. So making sure that that kind of verbiage is part of your advocacy is very important. So we can help women step away from the shame and just own it. And we can help their kids move forward. Like we can't help a child if we alienate their mom right? or their dad. Um, so it's just important that we change how we speak because of that. Um, and then along with language, their FASD advocacy is not a new thing. And FASD advocacy on social media is not a new thing. And historically, an approach that some people have taken has been fear. I'm going to scare you into not drinking during pregnancy. But I just explained to you why most kids are alcohol exposed, right? It's not because mom was like, you know what? I wasn't scared of alcohol during pregnancy, and now I get it. I get it. I'm not going to do that thing. That's not the reason. The only thing that fear does is it isolates a lot of people from us. Um, it, it reinforces the stigma. It makes every time our kids interact with someone, it makes that person think, oh, well, your mom didn't choose differently. No, no, that's not a helpful way of speaking about it. But if we can empower women to see how this choice exists for them, empower them to feel comfortable, comfortable and confident about speaking out if their child was exposed in utero, those kinds of things do work. That does make change. So don't, don't use the fear rhetoric because that, that only gets us so far. The third tip I have is that we need to consider dignity and privacy. I've had a lot of people message me and say, I feel like I can't speak out about FASDs because it would put my kids on blast, right? Um, which I totally get. So uh, I'm lucky because I'm a foster parent. So I just have a lot of kids come through my home. You don't know which ones have FASD and which ones don't. We don't talk about specifics like that. Um, if you go on my profile, I notice my kids aren't on my profile. Um, this, is, this is a way that we maintain privacy. 
but you're at, if you choose to speak out and you are in fact not an individual on the spectrum, then you are speaking out on behalf of those individuals. And that's a huge responsibility. You And you have to take it as a huge responsibility also. So you need to respect your role. Um, you need to listen to individuals on the spectrum and hear what they have to say. Um, FASD champions say nothing about us without us. So like if the only people you're ever hearing and learning from are other parents, then you're missing a huge part of the population, right? So a lot of individuals with FASD that are out teaching some amazing stuff. So make sure you're learning from them. So once you, you write something, say something, train something, post something, I want you to think if I had FASD and I read that, would I be ashamed, embarrassed? Like, would that make me feel less than if I read that? And that's what I hope that any parent that's advocating for neurodiversity can, can think that when they walk away from it. Um, question whether if it the shoe was on the other foot, how would we feel? Um, because social media is permanent. Once you put it out there, it doesn't matter if you take it down later, it's been out there. And so how are you making sure that you're protecting your family, but also the stigma and the shame surrounding FASD and combating that? You wanna focus on the good that happens working with our kids. You don't wanna make people feel like kids with FASD are so terrible that if someone gets an opportunity to parent one, um, or they may be pregnant and they have an alcohol exposed pregnancy and now you're making them feel like this is going to be the worst life ever. That's not helpful. That's not helpful. We want to focus on the beauty that is surrounding this. And that's why obviously FASD hope is bomb diggity because we're focusing on hope. So, um, so those are some things that I think kind of encompass what it looks like to advocate for FASD as a whole, not social media specific, but just like no matter where you're advocating these things we should keep in mind. And these are wonderful tips. We're going to be writing these down and posting them on our social media as well as in our program notes because, Aubrey, you just you bring so many fantastic points to the forefront. We are speaking on behalf of individuals that have an FASD. So therefore, we need to respect, we need to honor, and we need to clearly state facts and not have our words and our advocacy be fear-based or based on shame and stigma. Like you said, I, I wrote down what you said that fear just reinforces stigma. And that is hundred percent true. So I hope if you're listening and you are advocating out there on, on behalf of someone with an FASD, whether it be as a parent, a caregiver, a loved one, that you keep these things in mind. And I have grown personally just watching and learning from Aubrey's advocating because here's a, a good example. And, and Aubrey mentioned this to me that a lot of individuals that have a disability would rather state they have a disability instead of they have special needs. Ah, because yes. when you talk about special needs, there is that whole, okay, there's kind of that undertone of, you need something special. That yes. you're like it's like a it's like yes. a want versus a need is yes. what it makes it sound like. Yes. Oh, you need preferential treatment. Right. Whereas when you say disability, it's you know, you're saying a diagnosis. You're saying, okay, this is a medical condition, which FASD is, and here are the medical, physical, psychological accommodations, you know, just fill in the blank yeah. accommodations that you need to provide. So that changed my perspective. So now I, I really, when I'm talking with on other podcasts or just wherever, I really try to be cognizant of saying, you know, an individual with a disability, you know, someone that has a disability versus person with special needs. 
because again, yeah, and the, a lot of that happened um, because we were so one um, disability is protected under many laws, yes, right? Yes. Um, in, in America, um, I know Canadian stuff seems to be written with the term special needs, but in America, disability is really big. Yeah. Um, and we had gotten to the point where we were tiptoeing around it so much that we had stigmatized the word itself. And so now we're trying to take that back. And it's the same thing with FASD. If you suggest that a child might have FASD, people are like, ooh. And it's like, no, 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 it's not, that's not like the word, you're, right. you're treating it like it's a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. It's just, it helps us be more aware of how to support this child. Um, so yes, using the correct terminology, which, you know, does require some research, but very helpful in your advocacy, it makes things more clear. Yes. So now let's talk about the social media platforms and how there are new ones like you've. So here, fun, fun fact, fun fact, because of the FASD Respect Act, I uh, FASD Hope is now on Twitter, which like, you know, <gasps> wow, I, know that's, yes. I know that's like huge. But I, you know, I was avoiding it for so long because it's so politicized and stigma and everything and just, oh, my gosh. And I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to jump in. And I'm glad I'm glad I did because, again, I am following the people that I know will be helpful for FASD advocacy. I'm also sharing information for others who may not know. I mean, like, you know, I, I've only been on there probably a week and people are already, you know, retweeting our, you know, my tweets. So yeah, yeah. that I, I have learned where in the past, oh, I try to avoid a social media platform. Now I'm like, you know what? No, I'm going to consider it. So um, do it. Exactly. Yeah. So give well, me some it, more tips. Interestingly, last year when I did the, the five days of facts, the biggest place that that was shared was on Twitter, which I'm not very active on. So it was so interesting that that was some of my biggest numbers. So there, so there's several platforms that you can be on social media. Of course, like from somebody who like MySpace was my jam in high school, is <laughs> we've, we've moved quite quite in a different direction now. Um, and so, so now we have things like Facebook, which Facebook is a great way to create community because groups are very easy on there. Um, it's a little harder to reach outside of who your um, audience already is. Um, hashtags, Facebook's been playing around with them but they're, they're not as um, helpful. People don't search hashtags on Facebook, right? Um, they do search hashtags on Twitter and Instagram. And so that gives you some power as far as reaching outside of your audience. Um, and yes, Twitter has its thing because it's not as picture-based, it's more word-based and links-based, um, whereas Instagram links are very hard to share, um, but and pictures are more important. Um, and the, everybody talks about the algorithms. What are they sharing? What's going to get promoted? Um, so I'm, I'm just going to give you some um, overviews of how you could get your information to go a little further. Um, I, of course, am a millennial, so that's where some of my knowledge comes from. Um, but also I, I work on some PR stuff as well. And so um, in the course of watching some amazing professionals do some amazing campaigns that got a lot of reach um, and also working on some projects myself, I created some like awareness of how to reach people. Um, but I know not everyone's a millennial that's like on social media all the time. So I'm going to give you some tips anyways. So your first tip is to be timely. This is the same thing when you're trying to get something in the news, you can't be like, well, like a month ago we had this meeting and it was really great. Like nobody cares anymore, right? Um, and it's the same on social media. You want to try to, to fit in with whatever trend is happening right now, which is what we did with the Don't Rush Challenge last year. Um, and that's that continues to be 
the, the social media platforms want you to do that. They make it easy for you to do it, right? So now Instagram has Reels, um, which came out about September of last year. Um, and you know, they, you have the audio, you can use somebody else's audio because they want you to hop on those trends. Matter of fact, the other day, Instagram, um, gave me a notification that one of the audios I had saved because you have saved them so you can make it later. Um, one of the audios I had saved had been reused 3000 times. So in other words, you should go use this audio also so that you're on that trend, which I did. So, um, they want you to do that. Um, you can also use hashtags and you, and Instagram, I'll give you an example. When you search hashtags, you can see how many people are following that hashtag. So you can say, is this a hashtag that gets used a lot or is nobody posted in this in months because then nobody's following it. You can also create your own hashtag as a way of tracking stuff. So you can say, hey, use this hashtag and then you click on it and then you can see whatever anybody else shared. So if you're creating a challenge or something like that, um, that could be a good way of looking at that. Um, and then I encourage you to experiment with things that you don't know much about. So whether it's getting on stories and actually like putting your face on there with video, um, I would I would encourage you to do that. Whether it's doing reels or TikToks, I would encourage you to do that because even though those things don't feel comfortable, as you do them, one they feel more comfortable. Um, but two, those are things that are really big right now. And the way that we reach outside of our audience is by being relevant to everyone else. So just just do it in the moment which leads me to my second tip, which is to be relevant. A lot of FASD advocacy happened in the 90s and the early 2000s. And then we had like a big lull, right? We had like a pretty big push then, and then we had a big lull. And so what does it look like for us to um, kind of throw away what it would have looked like back then to advocate and make it look very 2021? Because when we're reaching out to, I mean, if you think about it, so I'm turning 34 this year, but I'm a millennial. So when I go online, I want to see cool things, hip things, things that look like they're like now. So if I'm if I'm 34, then if I had a kid at 20, I could have a 14 year old biological child. So these are the parents that we're reaching to, right? Like, of course, we can reach to the parents that are in their 50s plus, but we're trying to also reach the younger parents. So what does it look like to make sure that whatever message we're putting out looks and feels relevant? Um, for example, I'll, I'll give a shout out to my friend Alex at Alex TFASD. Um, she does a great job of compiling a lot of information and making it look very visually appealing. You're like, I want to click and read through that, which is why I've asked her to do graphics for me for the collaborative. And little sneak peeks, not announced publicly yet, but Alex just joined the collaborative as a collaborator also. And so she is really good at saying, I know this complex information. I'm going to boil it down and make it feel real easy for you. And that's kind of our goal with all of this. We also need people to ask the question, why does this matter to me? When you say FASD, nobody thinks it matters to them because you haven't educated them yet. So how do you educate them in a way that feels very relevant that yes, so we know that every American, and I would venture to say every Canadian is affected by FASD, right? The, the numbers are just too high for that not to be the case. If you know even a stranger who has autism, you are two and a half times more likely to know somebody who has FASD. So how do we show people that this matters to them, that this is relevant to them? And part of that is looking cool. It just is, I don't know how to say it any other way. You just have to look cool. Um, so make sure your stuff looks like 2021 and not 1996. You also want to do things like share facts to welcome the outsiders. So in other words, I, you don't know about FASD, so I'm going to tell you that it affects 5% of the population. I'm going to tell you that it's caused by prenatal alcohol exposure, even in small amounts in the first month of pregnancy. I'm going to tell you these kinds of things to kind of welcome you into our community, let you know that this does matter to you. 
You also want to give tips to encourage people who are already on the inside, that they're in the trenches, they're working. How can we encourage you to have hope in your life or um, to know how to handle different situations better? Um, so those things, but don't only speak to one audience or the other. Don't only speak to outsiders or don't only speak to insiders because you will not grow that way. Um, and then you can also give information about your life that makes you relatable, right? Like that's that's another thing is people want to follow. I will always have more followers on my own personal profile, Aubrey Page FASD versus the Change Starts Your Collaborative because Aubrey Page FASD is a person. I have a life, I go shopping, I show people what I get, right? Like those things, do they have anything to do with FASD? No, but people, I have over 200 people look at my stories some days because they wanna know what's up. So how do you make yourself that kind of person that people feel like they can relate to? If you have hobbies or other interests, that you are participating in other parts of social media, how do you wrap FASD into that? My example is that I am into ethical clothes shopping. Um, so I've been purchasing um, ethical and sustainable clothes for like seven or eight years now, way, way longer than it's been like super cool on social media. Um, and so I've generated quite a closet of things that are ethical clothes. So when we did the five days of facts, every day we did a fact, I also took a picture of me in an ethical outfit with a sign that said, are you FAC aware? And um, I tagged all the companies that I was wearing. And some of them shared my stuff and they have like way more followers than I do. But that that's kind of like my thing that I'm wrapping into FASD. I also participate in Dress Ember every year, which is a campaign to raise awareness and funds for human trafficking. So I did that this year, but I wrapped up human trafficking disabilities. How do we talk about both of those things? And I had all these people who participated in Dress Ember super interested in FASD because it's totally relevant to what they advocate for. What is your thing that you can make do? For example, Natalie, you're a homeschool mom and also an FASD mom and you put those things together and you made a magical book. So like, how do you, how do you do that um, for your thing? Whatever your thing is, I can't tell you what your hobby is, but um, that's another way of expanding outside of your audience, getting the external audience and welcoming them in. Thanks for the book plug, by the way. Oh, yes, yes. Always the shout outs. <laughs> um, the third tip is to engage with your audience. Um, I want to say, like, I don't know what it would be like to have a giant audience. Like, um, I have friends who have 15,000, 30,000, like, 50,000 followers. I don't know what it looks like to engage with all them, but I do know that at my small size, um, it's, it's important that I'm sharing other content creators and not just FASD content creators, especially when you're looking at neurodiversity as a whole, there's so much content that is absolutely relevant to parents of kids with FASD, but is maybe geared towards parents of kids with autism or um, ADHD or just special needs in general that would also work for our family. So share that in your stories, tag the creator, maybe have a conversation with them in the messages. If they message you and say, oh, thanks for sharing. Be like, yeah, this totally works for my audience and this is why. I had a great conversation the other day with a teacher who was sharing classroom management tips and her tips were like, don't take away recess, don't use clip charts. And I was like, yes. And we had a great conversation about how FASD is relevant to the classroom. So engage with not only your followers, but also other people who are creating um, content. And when you're engaging with your followers, make sure that you're responding to messages. There is an other box in both Facebook and Instagram, and I think Twitter also. Um, and so just make sure you're like going through that and you're not like, oh my gosh, I'm such a celebrity that I didn't notice you were sitting there for three months. I actually did find someone the other day that I don't know how they slipped through the cracks, but I totally didn't respond to them. Um, <laughs> but, but I did then um, and maybe respond to your emails, which is not also not my strong suit. 
if somebody comments on your post, the goal for comments is four words or more. Um, so ideally they're commenting a generous amount. And when you comment back, try to comment back four words or more. That tells Instagram, yes, somebody actually cares about this information. This is helpful to them. Maybe other people would want to know about it and it may promote your post. Um, when uh, on social media, usually about 4% of people see your content. So if you have a thousand followers, then what, that's like 40 people, man, I, yes, 40 people. I'm, I'm confident that's correct. I totally am a good homeschool mom. <laughs> um, so 40 people see your post, right? So, but as people like it and comment on it, then Instagram's going to push it further. And so um, you would like to see the higher engagement tells Instagram, yes, we should share this with more people. Um, and then go and comment on other people's posts too. If they're, I mean, don't comment like silly stuff, like heart emoji, because I feel like that would help me go and be like, oh my gosh, this is so relevant to my audience. And this is why I actually got a really good interview with someone, um, Yvonne, who is the ultimate mom challenge. She's big in sober mom um, community. And uh, she started the sober mom squad. And that's a community that I'm actually training soon. I'm super excited about that. But I connected with her because she made a post and I commented, she said, what do you think people need to be talking about with in regards to alcohol in America? And I was like, ah, FASD. And then we started talking and then here we are. So those kinds of things can really lead to some cool stuff also. But again, if you're not engaging with people, if you just go post and then post and ghost is what they call it. If you just go post a ghost, then Instagram's not gonna show you very much. Um, so those are my, my three tips to be timely, be relevant and be engaged um, to try to, to make more change. Um, and then my last two little tidbits will be about um, if you, are, you wanna make graphics, um, I had a lot of people recommend Canva to me and I was like, okay, whatever. I know how to use Photoshop, which I mean, I kind of do, but like not really well. Canva is so easy. So I love Canva. easy. I love it. Yes, it is. It's, I mean, and if once you're on it, you actually see a lot of people use it because you can see some of the similar designs, but I was using Adobe Spark before because I already had the Adobe suite. And so if you are like, I don't want to get Canva, I'd rather use this. Okay, cool. That's fine. Um, and Canva, you can do a lot for free. I do have a paid account, um, but I, I recommend that even though I didn't take that advice for a long time. And then um, you can also schedule your posts. So if you're wanting to make posts on social media and you're like, I cannot be on social media every day because the algorithm likes consistency, um, then you can schedule things ahead of time. So you can use actually Facebook and Instagram have a built-in scheduler called Facebook Creator. And you, you kind of, I mean, I can't tell you exactly how to get there, but just click around in Facebook until you can find it. You need to have a professional or business business or creator Instagram account and a um, business account inside of Facebook to be able to access that. Um, but you can schedule things out in there. Um, you can also schedule inside of Canva now. You can only do it if you have one graphic. Um, so you can't do like a series of 10, like a, a slide deck as we call it. Um, but you can do one graphic inside of Canva. And then later is another um, cool software that I have liked in the past. Um, some of the paid accounts allow you to schedule stories, which is really cool. Um, but all of those things will hopefully help kind of simplify what you're working on. This is fantastic. And I will be posting these tips and, and these wonderful um, suggestions and sharing them with our audience. Let's talk about this class that you're offering now, Aubrey, because it's really timely, especially with the FASD Respect Act coming up. And just in general, September is FASD Awareness Month. How can people learn from you through this class and what will they learn from you through this class? 
Yeah, so with this class, I would like to be timely, relevant, and engaged. <laughs> I mean, but for real. Great way um, to lose it. <laughs> Um, so the, the goal of this class is that um, it'll be a six week course um, and it will take us through FASD um, Awareness Day. So it'll be the beginning of August through FASD Awareness Day. And the goal is that um, we kind of create a community um, of people who are wanting to advocate. When, uh, when you say, I would like to be an FASD, FASD advocate, what does it look like from a language perspective? How do you overcome some of the myths and barriers that, that lead to you not even be able to get in to train somebody, for example? What does it look like to put a training together? What are the things that you need to think about from a business perspective? How do you create a social media presence? These kinds of things that I have learned over the last couple of years, I want to share with other people so that it's not just like we need more, more advocates. Um, so that is what I would like to do. Um, also, of course, create a sense of community amongst other people who are advocating. How do we support each other? Because I have not experienced everything ever. Um, so what does it look like to get that information from other people? And then also, um, I would like to work on a project leading up to FASD Advocacy or Awareness Day, where we are kind of brainstorming within this group what are we going to do and then making it happen so i'm really hoping to get a lot of people who are ready to take action because that's the goal is like we can sit here and say the system's broken for a long time but we also have to be willing to fix the system one of the requirements ahead of time is that you have to take the fasd parent bundle if you're not a parent that's okay but i need you to take the parent bundle because it's the most information that i have out um, and I, I need that because I need you to be on the same page as everyone else. I need us all to have to take that as base level knowledge, right? Even if you've been in F other FASD courses. Also, because during the training, I'll be referencing how I train people, what language I use, why I do it that way. So I want you to have that as, as a background. Um, so the FASD parent bundle will be a required um, thing. And then people will have to apply to participate because one, I cannot I, I have to limit the numbers to make sure that I can focus on people, um, but also because I um, need to verify that you've taken that that other course. So it's a little bit different than than something that I've done before. I've definitely um, you know I've consulted a lot, I've mentored a lot, but this is going to be more structured, and I'm hoping you will have more output from it. Right? It's not we're going to have a chat and then we don't talk again. It's going to be we're going to have a chat and then we're going to get it done. Um, so I'm very much looking forward to it because I think that there are a lot of people who are kind of on the edge of like, I think I want to do a thing with this, but I don't know. And then we're going to, we're going to just jump over the cliff together and just do it. Fantastic. So give us the details on how people can, uh, access and learn more about this class and sign up. So by the time this podcast is released, you will be able to apply instantly, and I'll give you a link at that time. The course is called Making Change for FASD, or MC4F, um, and we are, um, so you will apply for that there, um, and then we will let everybody know who made it. Um, and then get started at the beginning of August. So whenever this gets released, which is a time to be determined at this point, um, hop on that link right now and go check it out. And, um, and I'm hoping you will participate. Let's end our episode with some words of hope. You know, you've been on this podcast enough. Let's end with hope in what you think parents, caregivers, self-advocates have to be hopeful about with FASD advocacy. The fact that we have a bill presented at the federal level that involves funding 
is something that hasn't happened in well over a decade at this point. Um, and I know many of you who have been on this journey for a while will say FASD advocacy effort is stagnant, but it is no longer. We are making moves. And so if you were to jump on, if you wanted to get involved, now would be the time. But I do see things, I see a lot of things changing in a lot of different places in a lot of different ways. And I feel like we will see significant change in the next several years. And so I hope people are hopeful about that. But also I think another big aspect to my hope that I have is that I know how much I can change in my own local community. I know how much I can change in my own foster agency even, right? Like that was the first place I trained. I trained the staff and then I trained the parents. Um, and now I have parents coming to me saying, I went to your training and I know that this that's what this is. So that was like a little tiny blip on the radar, but it made change. So how can how can we say, well, I'm, a, I'm gonna be the change? And with those wonderful words of hope, we're going to end our episode. Aubrey, one more time, how can people reach out and get in touch with you? So I'm Aubrey at the CSHcollab.com. I'm also at Aubrey Page FASD and at the CSH Collab FA, or not FASD, the, at the CSH Collab on all the social medias. All the handles are the same. All right. And we will be sharing Aubrey's links in today's program notes, as well as tagging her on our social media accounts so that you can directly go and, and get more information. Aubrey Page, three-time guest. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much for being and, and everybody, you just know she'll be back because of course she will. She will. Yep. So thanks again, Aubrey, for, for joining us today. No problem. All right, everyone take care and we'll catch you next time. Thanks again for listening to FASD hope with Natalie Vecchione. If you like our show and want more information, check out FASDhope.com. Or please leave us a five-star rating and follow us on Podbean, iTunes, or anywhere you get your podcasts. Make sure you join us next week. And remember, to be informed, take care, and always have hope.